For Times Radio, in collaboration with the Audio Content Fund, this is Heartlands. Before working at Amazon, I was pretty much safe that I'd been unemployed for the majority of the 10 years. Deindustrialisation is the structural decline of an economy. It really comes out of hard times. It's determined by the need to live in a community. Young people telling you stories about life in our hometowns, asking what work in the shadow of heavy industry looks like in Britain today. My name's Hugh. I'm 24 and I grew up in a village called Pissington near Durham. One of the best things about growing up in the northeast of England is the Durham Miners Gala, which happens every July. People come from villages all over the county to wave banners, march with bands, and celebrate trade unionism and the northeast's mining heritage. Even though the pits have closed, going to the gala makes you feel proud. If you get talking to some of the older people at Gala Day, it's not uncommon to hear them talk about a job for life, either in the pit, the shipyards, or the steelworks. After moving away from the area for university, I noticed that for a lot of people finishing school in Durham, the most popular big employer was Amazon. There's actually three Amazon fulfillment centres, all 30 minutes drive from my house, with a fourth one on the way. With their smart workflows, temporary employment contracts and variable working conditions, Amazon seems symbolic of change in the northeast. I wanted to figure out how this retail giant became established in my region and what this really means for people in Durham. My official title was like Fulfillment Associate. That was just warehouse dog's body, really. This is Dan, who was in the year above me at school. Dan was studying politics in York when the coronavirus pandemic hit. So when it all kind of kicked off with COVID, kind of left um, like my university house and then came back to live with my parents, they'd moved out to Weirdale, which is oh. out in the kind of middle of nowhere now. So what was your first day like? I remember being quite impressed by like the kind of the scale of the operation. It's really kind of impressive. So I was on pack singles, which is where you kind of just pack little kind of parcels at 10 hours a day. So it wasn't really much to be introduced to, really. You'd kind of get the box, so it'd come along on a kind of conveyor belt, the item. You'd put it in front of you, scan it, and then from there you'd go to the sticky tape machine and it would, based on what box it told you to use, it would guess the kind of length. You're just there, pressing that, getting that, putting a label on it and putting it on the belt for 10 hours. There'd be some days where I don't think I even like, spoke to like, anyone. If I didn't see someone like, I recognised or something like that, you kind of clock in electronically, go to your station, pack parcels. It was around Christmas when Dan became unwell and had to take two days off sick. I couldn't get really get an appointment with the doctor, obviously, because it was like Christmas, New Year. Dan wasn't able to get a sick note for his absence. And when he returned to work, he had a meeting with his managers. So it was just like one day at work, you kind of pulled away from the station, some random manager and somebody from HR. They didn't discuss it with me, nothing like that, nothing like, oh, what's wrong with you? Why have you been off or anything? Like you'd kind of expect, like the basics. When Dan became unwell and had to take time off work, he felt like his job was on the line because he couldn't quickly provide a sick note. 
And the next thing I do is I got a kind of a letter saying you might want to bring like a trade union representative or something, something in with you, like along like that, about your kind of contract. And then it was, it was bizarre. It was bizarre. I went in and I basically just explained myself. And then they kind of went away into another room and they came back in. And they were like, oh, okay, we decided there's no further action. Once he explained the situation, though, the incident was dropped. Pretty soon after this, Dan decided to change job and now works in a mental health crisis team in the NHS. I, I really love the job I'm doing now. So we deal with kind of suicidal people um, and then people with like kind of mental health like problems like schizophrenia. But even then, you know, it feels like there's more prevalence of these in these kind of forgotten communities. I know a couple of people who passed through the doors of Amazon on temporary contracts. Like Dan, they would work for a couple of weeks or a few months before moving on elsewhere, changing sector or going back into education. So what was work like in Durham before Amazon? I needed to speak to someone who knows Durham inside out, someone who's worked with young people and families over several decades. I'm Robin Morris, I'm a retired uh, secondary teacher and I've been working in the North East since I qualified in 1984. I'm Hugh's father. <laughs> I landed a job and I was determined that uh, I was going to take it uh, in, in Teesside. I thought it was going to be difficult and it turned out to be even harder than anticipated. Dad worked as a geography teacher and he remembers how the River Tees was bustling with all sorts of industry from the nearby chemical works. I think there were four chemical companies and they amalgamated, so eventually it became ICI. There were also shipyards. Like, for example, Smith's Dock, which is in Middlesbrough. And the local steel plant. Which is at, uh, at Redcar, but there was also other employment just down the road in Hartlepool. So the sort of jobs they were doing, a lot of them would be described as uh, skilled manual workers, so lots of them had served um, full-time apprenticeships, and they would be paid well. And there were quite a few who didn't work quite so hard as them, uh, who had sort of manual, not hugely skilled jobs. Jobs that they just went, went into as soon as they left school. Were those the jobs that their parents would do? Would, they, would you see a generational thing? I think it probably was a gener generational thing. Do you think that there's still an idea of a job for life in County Durham and it's just not being fulfilled at the moment? My suspicion is that the job for life has gone from everywhere, really. If you had anything about you, you decide what job you're going to have, and it would be a job for life. This is David Temple. I was born in uh, Cowden, near Spennymore, in 1944. I uh, didn't go into the pits until I was 28, and mainly because I had no option. David worked at Merson Colliery for 20 years, where he became Secretary of the Mechanics, which was part of the National Union of Mine Workers. I met up with David at Red Hills, the Pittman's Parliament in Durham, to hear about what working life was like in one of Durham's heavy industries, mining. If you live in terror down a pit, you don't go down a pit, you know. But there was times I was scared. One time I was on a, a runaway uh, locomotive, and it was going down a gradient and it, it got out of uh, control. I jumped out of there, I thought, if every bone in my body is going to be broken and I'm still alive, I'll be happy. 
while I was there, there was four friends that were killed. On one occasion, there was in the pits around, there was nine that were killed, and they were usually transport accidents. Uh, but apart from that, you just couldn't live if you were scared down all, all the time. You couldn't do it. Speaking to David, it was crazy to hear how common serious injuries and deaths were in the pits. I asked David if there were any safer alternatives to working down the mines. Durham suffered from social engineering to a large extent. This is um, the Northeast Area Development Plan. Other industry was kept out of the area because they didn't want a competition of labour with the pits. And you might think this is far-fetched, but just consider why has Durham and the North East never had a car plant until the pits closed. According to David, there'd been talk of building a Ford car plant in the North East, but this had been blocked by the shipyards and the National Coal Board because they didn't want competition for jobs. So, you know, they, they kept us working in the pits, and then when they closed the pits, there was nothing for us to go to. This sentiment rings true in many parts of Durham today. If you visit the most deprived villages in East Durham, there's one thing in common. They're all ex-mining villages. I asked David what he thought of the government's levelling up initiatives. Trickling down, they used to call it, and it doesn't work because the people who have got money stick with the money in the main. How can they level up? How can they level up? Uh, without a radical change and with a distribution of wealth that's never happened before. I mean, I'm a socialist, so it requires a, a different way of organising society where the generation of profit isn't the main drive of a society, which is what it is now. Since February this year and the publication of a government white paper, I've heard lots about levelling up in the news. According to the policy paper, levelling up aims to spread opportunities more evenly across the UK. I wondered what this means in real terms. There's a lot of interpretation as to what it means. For me, it's about an inclusive opportunity for every resident and business in County Durham and levelling that playing field for skills, for transport and opportunity. This is Amy Harhoff. Corporate Director of Regeneration and Growth for Durham County Council. I think there's a very big difference between what is a levelling up fund, where you'll submit lots of projects and brilliant things that will try and try and effectively level the economic playing field, versus what is a bigger national national strategy for levelling up. From at least my perspective, a lot of these problems could be solved by, or at least alleviated by, the central government simply giving more money directly to the local authorities and them essentially, because they live there, they know what to do with it. How does that all kind of dovetail together and is it working? So I completely agree with you. I think one of the most important levers that we could have locally is local decision-making and as much local devolution and power as possible to be able to make decisions that reflect that local context. Um, And that's why it's important that measures such as devolution, which is outlined um, in the government's white paper on levelling up, really do come forward and come forward in a way that's, that's meaningful.
what role do you think deindustrialization has played in Durham's fortunes in particular? Fundamentally, deindustrialization is is the the structural decline of an economy, and and what's ultimately happening is the economic functions in an area are are coming away, and and that and that can happen. And there are choices, there are things that governments can do to support that. Um, and in cases where that's not sustainable, it has to really be about what industries, sectors, growth and opportunity replace, if you like, the, the economic heartlands of those areas. So, of course, where those structural declines happened, they're long term, they're, they're big shocks to the economy. And that's why it's really important that we have a long term plan to support them. And it has to be long term, but it has to be sustained and it has to be intensive. One of the businesses that County Durham has welcomed in recent years is Amazon. I grew up relatively near to the new Boban Fulfillment Centre and I've had lots of friends who work there. I wonder what your thoughts are on, on welcoming companies like Amazon that have a patchy employment record and kind of questionable in terms of their workers' rights into the region. Yeah, so the site that you're um, referring to is a development brought forward by an investor called Citrus Group, who we worked with really closely. Citrus Group is a real estate investment firm based in London. They're currently developing a 205-acre site called Integra 61, which is home to Amazon and several smaller manufacturing and logistics warehouses. So it's providing an important employment. I think we'd we'd always um, encourage all employers within the county to work with staff to ensure that they're providing the right environment for their employees and of course where it's where it's appropriate we, we support with that but in terms of your your question as to why we as a county council support that was very much because of the economic growth benefits that could come from such a, a significant investment in a strategic location. On Citrus Group's website, they claim that Integra 61 will add over £2 billion to the local economy over a period of 10 years. The pattern tends to be Amazon moots the idea of turning up in a community and building one of its warehouses there. For some reason, like former industrial communities feature very highly on this list. This is James Bloodworth. James is a journalist and the author of Hired, Six Months Undercover in Low-Wage Britain. James worked at an Amazon warehouse in a town called Rugeley in Staffordshire back in 2016. So I arrived in Rugeley five years after the Amazon warehouse had arrived and I didn't find any enthusiasm for, for the company. I, I can honestly say I didn't. The local authority will often step forward with subsidies to entice Amazon to go to that area so in the case of Integra 61 and Amazon our real role was um, working to support the developer who I mentioned Citrus Group who were a very engaged and proactive um, developer. The local authority in Swansea for example paid for the road for Amazon's lorries. They paid for the warehouse, I believe, in Swansea as well. In Rugeley, the local authority paid for the road. We supported with some enabling infrastructure and transport terms. But really, it was about supporting business and knowing that we're a county that's open for business, for sustainable businesses, for good businesses, and giving them the right guidance and support. And, and the local authorities do this, I believe, because they're desperate for the jobs, because in a place like Rugeley, where the coal mines closed in 1991, they left and then you had these communities where there were lots of older men typically without work and 
places which were in decline really, which since Brexit we've talked about as left behind communities. I mean, the number of lads I knew that just um, drunk themselves to death, basically. David Temple. There was uh, a few like that. One lad uh, that I'd worked with, I, I met him in the centre of Peterley, and I said to him, uh, this was about three years after the pits had closed, I said, uh, what are you doing now, John? He says, I'm doing what everybody else is doing. I'm a security guard. And that was the sort of jobs that, you know, that you're going from having made uh, 200 pounds a week to making, you know, practically nothing. You know, it's a cliche to say the heart was torn out of the village, but in fact it, it was. Historically, County Durham has suffered from a lower wage economy compared to the national average, with a relatively large number of working-aged people receiving state benefits. I started um, in August last year. This is Jay, who I met on a local Facebook page for Amazon Workers. Most posts on there are about lift sharing and swapping shifts. I wondered whether someone slightly older than my friends from school might have a different perspective on working at Amazon. I work on the inbound stock. So basically, once the stock's been received in off the wagons and unloaded, it's sorted into like plastic containers. They're sent up to conveyors under one of the floors, which is where like all of the stock's stored. And they're stored in individual like pods, like um, shelving units that are brought to the station where you're working via like one of those robot drives. Did you have any apprehension before joining Amazon? I've heard a few things that weren't good. That you were going to be treated like a, just like a number, you weren't treated like an individual, like you didn't you didn't matter, unrewarded, long working hours, basically that like you, you couldn't put a foot wrong or you were out the door. It couldn't have been further, further from it, to be honest. That's really interesting. So what were you doing beforehand? Well, before working at Amazon, I would pretty much say for about 10 years I'd been pretty much unemployed for the majority of the 10 years. A couple of months work here and there, but for the majority unemployed. So like the market that I'd be, I was looking to get a, get a job in was like the minimum wage market. So I, I can't have any complaints about the hourly rate. So what is the hourly rate? It's £10 an hour. I'm on a 40 hour contract um, for hours between 40 and 50 is paid uh, time and a half. And then for hours between 50 and 60 at double time. When I'm picking up overtime, like, I think like, the pay is like really good considering it's like it's an unskilled, unskilled labour. Do you remember what you wanted to do for a living when you left school, Jay? I'm 41 years old now and I still don't know what I want to do when I leave school. So I finished my GCSEs, sort of fluffed, fluffed my GCSEs up and found myself working um, in the offices for the railways for about 10 years. It was never, I never actually like had a, an ideal job that I wanted to do. And everybody in the offices where I worked was to be, was getting made redundant. I was on Job Seekers Allowance. Um, it was like banging our head against a brick wall. It was so disheartening. See, every like couple of months, I would get myself all built up to start looking for a job. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't take very long at all before like my spirit had gone from out of it. It was just living a purposeless life. Some days there's days when like you're waiting for your door to come through, like a few days, few days time. And there's days when you haven't got like even the money to eat or even put the electric on or whatnot. And just not a, not a good place to be. One of the things that I 
I've been thinking about when we've been making this program is what is a job, particularly in 2022, and whether the kind of employment that Amazon offers, for example, and other similar sorts of providers is actually kind of sustainable for the local economy. It might provide 3,000 jobs, but how, how long are those jobs going to last? Essentially, is it sustainable? You know, individual sites are important, but it's about how you take the whole of the economy and, and opportunities. Amy Harhoff. So it is important that we're providing higher paid jobs, um, higher skilled jobs, but it's it's important that there's a mix in the economy as well, so that different that where we'll have communities, different skills levels can still attract employment and potentially those as transitionary jobs into um, higher paid, um, higher paid and higher skilled roles, and ensuring that fundamentally we've got a low in- unemployment rate. And of course, alongside that, a, a low rate uh, or lower rate in terms of, of poverty. So I think here it's, it's a really fair question. And I think for me, it's about providing a, a balance and a mix and ensuring fundamentally that, that our, our young people and our communities have the skills to, to attract high performing jobs. All jobs are not created equal. Journalist James Bloodworth, who previously worked at Amazon in 2016. With Amazon, every contract was a nine-month contract. I mean, this is the biggest employer in town. You can't get a mortgage on that. You can't raise a family on on that when you have that sense of um, insecurity. So there doesn't really seem like there was a proper auditing process. That would be something I think local authorities should should be encouraged at the very least to do. The problem isn't militant trade unions. It's the fact that it's militant bosses like Jeff Bezos who can get away with this with this kind of thing can get away with um with with you know giving people disciplinaries merely for exercising their bodily functions and taking a toilet break or taking a day off sit but um so i i would say we need to get trade unions into some of these workplaces i think that would be that would be a huge benefit to the workers there and the knock-on effect would benefit the local community By providing a large number of jobs in a short space of time, Amazon has quickly positioned itself as a key player in County Durham's economy, proving a particularly appealing proposition for local people wanting to make some quick cash. But for working families struggling to get by amid low wages and spiralling costs, it's also clear that the precariousness of such jobs is contributing to a decline in economic security and in the most extreme cases, in work poverty. It remains to be seen whether these jobs are truly sustainable, both for the people working there today and for the community as it looks to the future. Thank you for listening to Heartland. This documentary was presented by me, Hugh Morris, and produced by Hunter Charlton and Ben Tullow, with help from Arlie Adlington, Anna Budd and Guy Gardner. Heartlands is a series for Times Radio, brought to you by the Audio Content Fund.